Hello, listeners. Yes, we're back. We're no longer safe. So sit down, get comfortable, put on your loudest headphones, and listen to the dulcet tones of, first of all, Mr. Brad Felicki. <laughs> the lovely Miss Kendra Hale. Hello. And smooth as peanut butter, Seth Singleton. Think creamy, not crunchy. Hi, everybody. I'm the crunchy one. I'm Steve J. Ray, and this is the DC Comics News Podcast, episode 81. And as always, have we got news for you? Have we? I think we might. First of all, movie news. And anyone who's a fan of the Christopher Nolan movies, and let's be honest, who isn't, may have had questions about a certain immortal warrior known as Ras al Ghul. But certain bits of his past have been clarified, including whether or not he was actually an immortal in the Christopher Nolan movies. So let's have a chat about that, shall we, Brad? Yeah, I, that's, it does not surprise me that they that they came out and said that he wasn't because they're, you know, these movies were so grounded in kind of a gritty reality that uh, I don't know that a Lazarus pit would fit into whole, that whole vision. So that that answer did not surprise me. I think that 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 was kind of to be expected. Um, and I think that that's one thing that fans did appreciate about the aesthetic of those films is that it was so gritty and kind of grounded. Uh, Kendra, what do you think? I like that they finally gave an answer to fans. I mean, albeit 15 years later, but I like that they stood their ground and they kind of addressed the rumors and kind of put it to bed that it wasn't something that fit into that timeliner story. Um, so, I mean, I, I at least there's at least the fan service there that they were willing to go ahead and say, hey, this is not something that's going to come up in this universe. It doesn't fit with the way that we wanted the story to go, and we're kind of going to stick with our guns and put that to bed. I really got a kick out of the fact that this was something that needed to be addressed, needed to have sort of a finite answer to it, because otherwise it's just going to be one of those lingering what-if scenarios. Uh, I, I was a little bit curious that my reaction at first was, well, yeah, that makes sense, followed by, but what if? Hmm. And then, of course, you know, the stroking of the chin And if you're like me, you've got a little bit of furry mustache on each side. So that can be sort of like a fun, comforting sort of, hmm. And as I did, I I thought to myself, you know, but there's just enough of that mystery, um, that that sort of uh, preying on the suspicions of criminals that that almost makes it feel like even if it wasn't true, it would it would be a perfect urban myth to go along with the death and destruction that came with Ross. So I, I was sort of intrigued by the idea that it was so clearly stated, no, no, that just doesn't fit in that reality. Because it makes sense based on the gritty style of the, the movie trilogy. But there's also this feeling that when I watched it, that's what I went to initially was, yeah, but he's Roz. I mean, <laughs> he's got the pit. He could always come back. I mean, and when you're a member of the Assassins, you're familiar with surviving the impossible, disappearing in the unlikely. So there was always a part of me that thought and maybe even still thinks, sure, why not? It's a possibility. Clearly, it's not one that would be played out in any future movies uh, or anything like that. But I I love this idea and I I sort of love the way the conversation, even though 
the uh, discussion was sort of ended with this statement. For me, it, it just kept going. Steve, how about you? Yeah, it's, it's what you've all said, really. This universe, if it was going to be like an ongoing franchise, but for some reason, unlike Bond, um, no other movie franchise ever has been. I mean, even Star Wars hasn't approached the almost 30 movies that Bond has produced. Um, it, it's produced nine and a couple of spin-offs. So it was never going to be something that would be revisited anyway, because they went for the main villains that haven't really been seen apart from Joker. They went for Russell Gull and Bane. Um, so they had to keep it, just like Brad said, perfectly well grounded and real characters that could exist in the real world. I mean, even Bane, rather than to be pumped up full of super steroid, he literally just had air pumped into his lungs that helped him to, to act and, and use his, his energy more efficiently and make himself a physical threat for Batman. So in a real world, as, as real as any world is where someone dresses as a Batman, beats the bejesus out of hoodlums for a living every night, um, then it, it would make sense for this not to have a place in these set of movies. But with a whole new Batman coming our way very soon in the form of Robert Pattinson in the Matt Reeves movie, could this be that one franchise? Because he's young enough, he's only 30-odd, that we could get a series of Batman films, particularly with the fact that it's going to be tied to a TV show too. Um, once again, there are so many possibilities. So even though the Nolan trilogy decided not to, we never would have found out anyway, because those films were done and done. Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale, they all said, that's it, that's all we're making. We're going to close this off, bookend it, and make it a trilogy. And it was a magnificent trilogy, so well done to them. So yeah, it, it just makes sense, um, logically and realistically. Do you think that they would ever consider revisiting that universe in comics, like have a, a continuation in some way through comics take like place in the same series. world of, I mean, I think that would be, it might be too late, but that would have been a cool avenue, I think, no, to explore. I've always wondered late. if look they as, would. Yeah, look at Smallville season 11. Yeah. It's never too late. That's a great idea. I like that. Something else for us to write. Yeah, because I would just, yeah, I would eat that up. Yeah, I mean, all those years after Two-Face between Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, what what happened there? Mm-hmm. So much stuff you could plumb. So um, perhaps in that reality, we could write in a Lazarus Pit or five. <laughs> mm, intriguing. Right. But we can't change the past, even though certain Scarlet Speedsters have tried and failed on numerous occasions. And funnily enough, on that note, um, Andy Massetti says that the Flash movie will involve time travel. Brad, what do you make of this? Uh, they can have so much fun with this. Um, I, I, I love the idea. Um, you know, I said in the article that it, it's probably not going to be Flashpoint as they had originally wanted, but they might put some parts of it in there. And it'd be such a interesting, convenient way to deal with some of the issues in the DCEU, uh, which would be kind of interesting. Between the Justice League that we got and the Snyder Cut and things like that, there'd be ways to play around with that in the time travel scenario idea. Um 
but yeah, I think that that's, I think that's a good choice. I think there's so much fun that they can have with that. And, um, I, I, um, I hope they don't waste that chance. I hope they take advantage of it. Uh, Kendra, what do you think? I love the aspect of the butterfly effect that we might get to see, not only with um, the flash, which is, is already being said that it's going to have a huge heart, which for those of us who cry at really emotional movies is probably going to be tissue ready. But I like the fact that not only will this potentially affect the flash, but it's even being rumored to, to seep into other of the DC projects that are going on, like with the Batman. Um, with with Michael Keaton, the one with Michael Keaton that's coming up. I like that we would be able to see that. And I think that that's unique because while they're trying to build this massive world, what better way to show little hints of um, of them being in the same continuity as to show things that are being affected by what Flash is going to do during this time travel? I'm really, really excited to see how they're going to execute it and what what's going to be represented from it. Seth, what about you? Completely excited. I mean, I was hooked as soon as I read that quote, the idea that, you know, Flash travels back to try to save his mother. <laughs> that that clearly tells me that the events that happen along the way, you know, the road to hell paved to good intentions, the idea that what we start out by trying to do is not what we end up doing, uh, that all leaves a lot of great ground to discover. I think it could be done in so many ways that can stem from Flashpoint. I'm well aware that the story points out with so many changes, that seems like a, a more of an unlikelihood. And yet time travel can go in many different directions. The idea that instead of traveling just backwards, that he travels backwards and off by a few degrees and then has to make some discoveries through different worlds and learn from other versions, maybe give us a chance to sort of build other examples about the Flash that we know of through his amazing history and then with that sort of inform this story about how he's existed on other timelines um, what this journey means for this version of the flash and how it's going to impact not only the characters that we've loved but also characters we're looking forward to so uh, as brad pointed out i really hope it's an opportunity that isn't wasted and i do love the fact kendra that you brought up you know, uh, that it's got such a spectacular uh, heart. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'll be ready with the tissues. I'm a big weeping, sobbing, you know, big old teddy bear, like happy to live out that feeling. Uh, the show always just brings my, you know, my emotions up to a, a crest and opportunity to see a movie that can live up to the potential I know this character has. It's it's something to really be excited for. This kind of story really excites me. Steve, how about you? Absolutely. So many ways it could go. Time travel adds both uncertainty, adventure, thrill, how could things go, what things could change even once time reverts, the butterfly effect, as you said, Kendra, um, the excitement, like you said, Brad, the potential, like you said, Seth, there's so many things that could happen. I mean, we've seen it in um, his brilliant cameo, his brilliant cameo in Crisis on Infinite Earths. If we can see the Flash um, interacting with some of his parallel universe counterparts if we can see the changes of saving his mother having horrible and lasting repercussions throughout his universe and others 
it, it's just an amazing piece of storytelling. I mean, shows that uh, have time travel as part of their background are tend to be the ones that run and run. I mean, uh, so many like Quantum Leap. I mean, Doctor Who is coming up to 60 years in three years' time uh, telling time travel stories because it just opens up the potential for past, present, future and everything in between. So... What I love is what you said, Seth, about the Flash, the potential this character has. And that's something we haven't really seen done properly, even in five years of his TV show, because it got bogged down with way too many supporting characters, in my opinion. So having a Flash solo movie, which touches on the important aspects of Flashpoint, I'm in. I'm definitely in. And Brad, what you said about um, the effects it might have on the DCEU at large. Well, that's what we all want to know, especially with the Snyder Cut coming in a few short months time. So, yeah, I'm excited. Um, Really want to see it. It's been a long time coming. So, yeah, looking forward to that one without a doubt. Now, speaking of ECUs and Scarlet Speedsters, how about a black clad superman another snippet from the aforementioned snyder cut has surfaced and this one has really got me excited what about you guys brad yeah i think this is really cool i just love the little bits of pieces that we're that we're getting um i hope that i hope that they can kind of trickle down information as we get closer and closer um because we're kind of still not knowing what exactly still has to be shot and what was already done, things like that. So getting these little, I'll take any of these little drippings of information and little clips. Um, I would, yeah, I, uh, it looks cool. And they also mentioned that it, that it might be color corrected in the final cut, which is interesting, but I, I liked how it looked as is uh, Kendra. This one was really cool to see revealed because um, I, I covered justice con day one for, uh, for Dark Knight News, and while getting to, to see the, the panels with Ray Porter and Jay Oliva and Ray Fisher, among others, were really, really cool. Of course, at the heart of it, everybody wanted to see what Zack Snyder was going to be revealing, and this one was, was, was really cool to see. They played it three times, back-to-back during Justice Con, and it, it really takes over an awe-inspiring moment because you're finally getting to see the creator show you the world that he wanted to and seeing superman black clad even if there are going to be color corrections eventually it's going to be something to see it's going to definitely be a sight to behold especially for fans who have been waiting and wanting to see this come out seth what about you well i think what really struck me was just how much excitement i could glean from such a quick scene i mean it was so well shot the great close-up camera pulls back uh, we get the chance to see that lovely perspective of uh, Mr. Irons looking down. And then we have that great moment where Superman just sort of floats through like a butterfly. <laughs> and in doing so, uh, it, it's just a really great moment to to see that scene play out and that detail of the gray and black. It was it was a wonderful hint of what we can look forward to when it's finally polished and perfect and just a great moment. Steve, how about you? Listen, I've been a fan of this look since Dan Jurgen's Death and Return of Superman storyline. Yeah, we're missing the mullet, but we can't have everything. But it looks awesome. And like Brad said, 
the color corrections and we get this tweaked and polished and and glowing like only a scene shot by Zack Snyder can it's going to look stunning because what we have seen and we mentioned this before it's miles away from what we saw on screen with the reshoots and the version of Justice League we got so Justice Con is well apt because it more or less was a con focused and centered around the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Um, so again, um, they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves to perform with this film because if it's not what everyone expected or, or, or as good as everyone wants it to be, it could be an almighty train wreck. But everything we're seeing from Diana looking at the cave, from Darkseid standing in the middle of the field to this gorgeous shot of a black clad Superman. Oh yeah, baby. I'm in and I cannot wait to see more. Right. Speaking of seeing more, there was a wonderful animated movie called Batman Under the Red Hood. And now we're going to see the story that led to that story. But, and we've been talking tropes for a few weeks now, uh, The Dead Returning is one of them, but Jason Todd's Return is one that I am totally down with. And to see the story of his death and to get the chance to choose again where some of us may have been too young or not in the right country to vote the first time in the comic books. This is exciting. Yes, we're getting a Batman the Animated uh, Movie, which is interactive, which fans can change the outcome of as they're watching. This is cool as hell. Brad, what are your thoughts? This is just a brilliant idea to make it interactive. And I, I have watched um, the the Black Mirror episode and the Kimmy Schmidt episode on Netflix, the interactive uh, episodes. And it, with a lot of those, I didn't you know, I didn't feel the need to go back and make different choices. I was kind of like, OK, with the path that I took on those on those episodes. But this one, I would want to see what happens with the different ways you choose things, especially since we never really got to see what would have happened had Jason Todd lived in, you know, in the comics. So the fact that we can go through in this movie, I think it's just, it's a brilliant idea. And uh, I, I think this is one that I would go back and, and make different choices just to see how it all plays out. I think it's, it's a, yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant idea. Uh, Kendra. I like the choose your own adventure aspect, but like, like you said, Steve, it's really funny because we just started talking about this stuff. And this was actually a question that I posed uh, to you and your guys at Comics in Motion, whether DC had stepped away from this type of um, yeah. voting your character to death. And here we are with an interactive where you basically get the same thing, but from the privacy of your own home. I mean, I, I like it. I like that it's a choose your own adventure. It, it kind of nullifies anybody who has an issue with their ending just because you're the one who makes all the choices throughout it. So you're in control. Um, I like the animation style, and I like that it harkens back to um, back to the 2010 Under the Red Hood, which we're getting the 10th anniversary of. But I still like it's that it's in the back of my head where I'm just like, you know, I didn't appreciate it as a fan the first time that I saw that this was put to a vote, and it kind of has that same similarity to it. So while it's cool, it just feels a little bit tainted to me as as a fan. But I am glad to see that they're doing this in the animated universe because I don't see a way to do this 
live action, like not without it, it ruffling way more feathers. So I think that they'll be able to do it more justice through the animated sector than they would have with live action. Seth, what about you? I'm I'm reminded of how I felt when I was reading through this story initially. And I had that same sort of pang of, wow, is this have we already come so far from the time when the call in uh, number decided his fate to now but then i was caught up in the choose your own adventure uh, example that's been provided because i loved those books i absolutely loved bookmarking certain sections when i'd made a choice and going back and making a different choice and following the thread through even when i'd had a satisfactory ending there was a part of me that wanted to know about the road not taken and that was a really fun uh, component that those books always just they made me treasure certain stories that I remember reading and thinking to myself, I I love the discovery as I was going through it. I really appreciate what was brought up with this idea that now we have a chance to see the other versions. What would have happened if Robin had lived? And in two different contexts, one, if he's saved by Batman or two, if he finds his own way and what that means. Um, and it, clearly there's outcomes based on that, that, look to be some really great storytelling but there was a part of me also that was like wow we recently had a passing of a legend um i remember reading you know what he had to say about that time and and there is that strange thing where you get to make these choices in the privacy of your own home and yet at the same time you also get to choose the ending that best fits you it it seems like it it keeps in mind that history and yet offers you new ways forward. And I agree, Kendra, I don't know if there's a way that you could go back to this material, uh, either in live action or God forbid ever attempt to do anything similar in comics, but that this attempt through anime is a, a really unique idea. And uh, it makes me wonder what other parts they might be re-examining in DC's history. Steve, how about you? The big difference really is obviously back then it was a crowd of baying wolves out for blood. Jason Todd's recreation was extremely unpopular and rabid fans just wanted him dead. One in particular, if the myths are to be believed, who programmed his Mac to redial the kill number every 90 seconds. And if that's the case, those 40 or extra 50 votes that led to Jason's demise were down to that one dude. But this is different. This is entertainment at home where you can choose and make your own movie. And that kind of technology is wicked i love that i do wish though i do agree with you kendra that it shouldn't be a life or death decision it could should be multiple roads multiple paths multiple different avenues down a different maze that would end in a completely different result or the same result because it's that cleverly written that you'll get to the same ending anyway but the fact that like you said seth we will be able to see what would happen if jason had survived that has always been something that's been playing on my mind since I was a teenager in the UK, unable to vote to save Jason. So what I have in mind is that beautiful piece of art that Jim Aparo drew with Batman holding Jason in his arms, a smile on his face and the caption, he's alive. They did draw the alternate scenes for the follow up episode. 
would Jason have been written out anyway, um, deciding he doesn't want to fight crime anymore and live an ordinary life as an ordinary child? Would it have driven him crazy? And then later he'd come back as a completely different Red Hood, bent on revenge against Joker and Batman? We don't know. So this is a lovely way of seeing a possible past we may never have seen before in our own homes without other baying fans wanting blood, but just as a pure form of entertainment, watching a movie that would be different every time you sit down to watch it. That to me just blows my mind. I mean, I said a couple of weeks back, a few years ago, Skype was witchcraft and, and talking and seeing my friends on video every week to, to make a podcast would be witchcraft. But this a movie you decide the end of that you can decide which way it goes is just magic to me it could have been a better topic but um hey i'll take it and if this leads to more um with slightly better results um would your decisions bring back a justice society i don't know the possibilities when this so mm, a couple of suspect things there but on the whole i think it's a lovely lovely idea right so that's all of our movie news um did any of you guys have anything else to say on any of those stories before we move on to talk about tv nope i feel good kendra same great stuff in that case let's go from the big screen to the little bitty screen of the tv streaming news titans season three is coming but obviously there's been a little bit little thing going around called covid which has put the kibosh on movies tv and everything else like it but mr thwaites who plays dick grayson stroke robin stroke nightwing has given us a little bitty update so brad what do you make of this story i i'm just glad that it's happening um i think there's so much up in the air with dc universe and things like that um, you know, I'm just um, even though production has slowed down, I, I, I'm just glad that we are going to get to see see the third season uh, eventually. Uh, Kendra, I think that that's something that we're seeing across the board um, is with the production. We're seeing how all of these teams are are fixing and changing so that that way they can adapt to COVID. And what what they would normally do with production, having to switch that over. I'm I, I agree with you, Brad. I'm really excited to see that they are still working, that the writers still have these scripts that are coming out, and that we can expect to see Titans three. Um, one of the things that actually kind of shot out at me from the article is the fact that, and we called this, that DC Universe is switching all of their main shows, all their originals, over to HBO Max, and what that has you know, to see whether or not DC Universe is going to be closing down or not. Let, I mean, it remains to be seen. But um, I know that it was reported that they've started canceling off and refunding those that had done the yearly subscriptions. So, I mean, that that's kind of a, a red flag in that sense. But, um, I mean, when it comes to Titans itself, I'm excited to see that we're going to get a third season and that it is in production, that we're still seeing things come from it. Seth, what about you? I'm always excited to hear news about great shows that we love talking about on here. Um, I'm always amazed at how much a story can be created about something. I mean, this is a really short quote. <laughs> when you read it verbatim, it's it's about as general as you can get. 
and yet there's so much excitement around the show that it's it's enough to build uh, this story around. I mean, he really just says, yeah, I've received a few scripts, so they've written a little bit. And I think they're just waiting to see. Yeah, waiting to see if we can shoot. And I thought to myself, wow, that's not a whole lot of information other than what you would expect to hear about almost any project. And yet we're so excited by the fact that it it's made such an impact in two seasons. There's a part of us that's wondering how are the programs that we love finding their way forward? And whenever you get a teaser about how uh, the Batman is picking up, you know, little stages to prepare for the main players to come back and how different projects are figuring out how they're going to navigate, it, it, it only takes this little spark for this feeling of like, more news is going to be coming, right? Tell me this is just the first little like uh, drop you know, that that first moment that tells you more is coming. So I'm really excited to to enjoy the excitement that this kind of a story brings up. Steve, how about you? I only wish we'd sourced a different website for this story because um, there's another pretty decent Batman site out there with some initials DKN or something. Uh, I don't know if you, anyone's ever heard of it. Um, they <laughs> ran a story where... Uh, <laughs> Brenton Thwaites also talked about updating his Nightwing costume, getting lots of cool new gadgets. So there was a lot more information in that one. But hey, no one's ever heard of that website, so who knew? But um, yeah, I'm just excited we're getting Titans three. And as for the whole um, DC Universe HBO Max controversy, it's heartbreaking because so many fans have put time, money, investment, and love and care into DC Universe. But once again, I'm going to rip the S symbol off my brother Seth's chest and put it on myself and be a glasses half full kind of dude and say, well, Warner own HBO Max, Warner own DC Universe. HBO Max, as you guys said a couple of weeks back, um, already have most of the DC content on there anyway. If they manage to put the comics on there too, awesome. Maybe HBO Max isn't the doom and the end of DC Universe, but a big, bold rebranding. And let's face it, with HBO, with uh, Warner Brothers behind it, you're not just going to get all the great DC content, but every Warner movie ever made, every HBO TV show, um, there's more cool stuff there. And if it's as successful as I'm thinking it might be, maybe we might even get it in other countries um, apart from the US and Canada, too. Maybe we'll finally get it over here. So I want to stay positive while I'm distraught that DC Universe is cancelling its subscriptions and paying people back for those who have them. Um, I have high hopes for HBO Max. I'm loving Disney Plus. And if HBO Max goes that way, plus comics, Oh, the future could well be very, very DC, my friends. Right. Not a lot of TV news, but what we have got is wonderful, particularly when you also consider another little show on HBO Max stroke DC Universe, which um, certain friends of mine, again, I can't remember any of their names, talk about on a weekly basis and are soon going to make a season two podcast show about a young lady named Harley Quinn has been confirmed for seasons one and two on the HBO Max streaming service. Brad, what do you make of this Harley Quintastic news? 
Well, I'm I'm torn because on one hand, um, it's much more likely that we're going to get a season three if they're confident enough in the show to bring season one and two over to HBO Max. So that's definitely a bright point for the future of the show. But on the other hand, I'm bummed because it's another uh, not to be glasses half empty, but another nail in the coffin of the DC Universe streaming service. So you know that that kind of bumps me out, but you know, it just proves how even if DC Universe streaming service doesn't survive, how well-received and how good the original content was. And, you know, as far as the future of the streaming service is concerned, right now I'm more concerned with the old stuff, like the old Flash series and all the old Shazam stuff and Supergirl and things like that that they have on that, that I'm more worried about losing that than I am about that and you know Swamp Thing. So I, I did finish the first season, you know the season of Swamp Thing, which is good. But um, yeah, but I you know but to sum it up, I'm just really glad that we're gonna have a, another season of Harley most likely because as we will talk about in Mad Love as we get into the second season, it's it's every bit as good as the first. So the quality on that show is just not dropped at all. So I can't wait to see more of it, uh, Kendra. If Harley was going to go anywhere, aside from DCU, um, I, I guess that on one hand, I'm, I'm with Brad. I mean, it's sad to see the original programming leave because it was amazing. But if it's going to go anywhere, I'm really glad that it's going to HBO. Mostly because HBO not only has its own brilliant, brilliant programming, but they are going to be able to keep the justice that is Harley Quinn because they already respect her. I mean, from the article itself, it takes you over to HBO's Twitter and you get to see some of the fans comments. And and I steer you, my dear friends to stay away from the comments, but Oh yes. Stay away. But HBO has one on here that alone lets me know that they're, they're ready and that they're able to continue what we have been seeing with the dedication to Harley Quinn. And it is, this world doesn't deserve Harley, but I'm grateful we have her. And for a program, for, for the distribution service to know what they're getting and to respect not only the fandom, but the character themselves and what has come before. And, and basically just kind of say, you know what, we're going to continue with what you guys have been seeing because we see the love that's there. They have my respect. Fully. I look forward to seeing what happens with, with HBO and with Harley. Seth, what about you? I'm always going to look forward to what the next possibility can be because I, I still want to hold out hope that there is a change afoot that we can't see yet, but that can still respect the fans and those who have supported the platforms that spun out these amazing original shows like Harley Quinn. You know, there's 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 a history there. There's a connection. There should be a respect for the foundation that created all of this, how it can be translated into the, you know, the next step. I, I still have this hope that there can be a, a DC library, a DC catalog that somehow the DC universe app can maintain some format that allows us to keep all that great stuff that Brad was talking about. You know, there's a wonderful collection of old shows and comics on there, which are just an absolute joy to go through and experience again. It's like 
just choosing segments from your life, childhood, teen years, young adult, and and just sink right back into those things that brought to life your favorite characters. I know that HBO Max is a great place for Harley Quinn to go because I know that, as you pointed out, Kendra, the, the respect that is demonstrated here. And I know that they can go on to continue producing amazing content. And I'm hopeful that this direction somehow means uh, a greater benefit for these shows, that it maybe alleviates whatever production costs might have been placed on the DC Universe platform and allows them to take advantage of platforms that can take care of one end of the cost and they can simply fund great quality content because it's the one thing that, you know, I, I want to see sustained when it comes to shows like this. Steve, you brought it up with Stargirl. Uh, we've mentioned it with the possibility of Swamp Thing finding um, a new direction, a new home. The thing that made these shows great was the quality and care and the choice to make sure that quality and care was consistent. If we can keep that, then I feel there's a way to honor fans of the present, the past, the future, and give us a way forward that doesn't leave anyone behind. And that's the part that I'm, I'm keeping with. Steve, uh, there's plenty of, plenty of hopeful emblems to share to care to wear uh mine is mine nine mine is ours and it's yours what's your thoughts my friend well we all love the harley quinn show that's no secret it's it's clear as day and the fact that the big hbo max channel have got seasons one and two just like you said brad is hopefully a good sign we'll get a season three as well but let, let's face it here it's almost guaranteed anyway because here in the uk we haven't even had Black Lightning. We've had the Arrowverse shows, uh, but one of them has been taken away by a different network to the other three. But we have had Harley Quinn season one air in the UK on an actual network. So um, that show is doing phenomenally well. And I'm right in thinking that it's also aired in sci-fi in the US, hasn't it? It's gone on on that network. It has. In fact, I think Josh made a comment sometime back that he saw it and it had no censoring, no editing. Yeah. It was all the original content. Same here. On E4 in the UK, it's completely uncut and uncensored, identical to how we saw it on on, on transmission in the US. So there's got to be a good future for it. I'm thinking again, this is Warner Brothers. I'm sure that HBO Max will have its own little DC segment, click button, you can pick on to, to carry on reading your comics, carry on watching your classic shows and movies, or, or at least I hope so. And I hope that it, it gets a, a worldwide launch, but hardly safe. There's no doubt in my mind that that show is safe. And like you said, Brad, as well, season two, as good as season one, in places it could even be better, particularly with what happens with the whole Harley relationship, the whole Dr. Psycho falling out and all the wonderful, wonderful stuff you guys get to talk about on the Harley Quinn cast. I cannot wait to hear it. Right. So let's move away from Batman and his family and friends and talk about a little show that came out last year, which no one knew they wanted, but blew everybody's minds. And that includes the judges who are giving the awards out for the Emmys this year. Watchmen, the standout show of last year, um, it, it, it blew me away. And I know that everyone here loved it, too, has scored 26 
Emmy nominations. Wow. Brad, you've got to be happy about this, right? Yeah, I'm ecstatic because I think it it really deserved it. Uh, there's not a show that's more timely out there, especially in the you know in the realm of superheroes and that sort of pop culture. Um, this show is so timely, and you know I mentioned last week I think it was, but um, DC has always treated these characters with respect and it's very rare that they lend anything watchmen to something that they know is not going to be quality and i know before watchmen had its you know missteps but it's kind of um you know it shows that they knew that they had something here that it was they kind of vindicated in letting the letting the story continue the way they did and, and everybody involved was so um respected you know respective of what the watchman property means and they and they really came up with something that was you know on that level of quality and it deserves everything it gets it's a really important show and you know i hope that these nominations will get even more people to watch it and you know it makes me curious too is if if um damian linoff and and the team behind it is more inclined now to find um a way to do a second season because he said that he wouldn't do it unless the idea was there so i, I you know i wonder what this is doing you know and where the world is at is what that's doing for his creative juices as far as is continuing on with it uh kendra what do you think I'm in the same boat. I'm excited to see that not only does a comic theme TV series get recognized, but landslide recognized on several different fronts. And they're deserving in every single one of those categories that they've been they've been signaled into. I mean, Watchmen was an amazing continuation from not only the the comic but also the movie. Um, I mean, we we got to see this universe that felt completely unique but completely familiar and just re-immersing stepping right back into a, a, a very comfortable place even though absolutely not the most comfortable of subject materials but still very familiar and the actors themselves brought that to life stunningly um given the fact that we're getting here in October, an even bigger jump right back into that universe with the Rorschach storyline that we're getting. I mean, it's it's a fan's dream come true to see not only the recognition, but to see this continuing forward. And I hope that we, we do get more from that and on the same level of excellence that we got Watchmen. Seth, what about you? You know, there great projects that create a gold standard and i think watchman has done this for the next project that comes out of this universe 26 nominations not only to recognize an amazing series but the recognition of the casting from gene smart lewis gossett jr to jeremy irons and regina king i mean the performances that we saw and the fact that this was uh, a project that that looked at history and it did so unflinchingly and it it was powerfully done. There were episodes in there. I remember that the the amazement sort of in my wife's eyes when she was telling me about a friend of hers who um, 
I believe he still has a career in acting, but now it's transitioned into voice acting. But his response to the uh, the episode with the memory pills and that that absolutely breathtaking, gorgeous journey that we took through history, through someone else's memories and threaded it together. When she was done reading the description, she looked at me and she said, have you seen this episode? And all I could say was, yeah. And it was just so gorgeous. I I want to talk about it in a way that acknowledges all of its greatness. And yet I don't want to fall short because I think if you see it, your own take will be as magical and because it'll be personal, it'll be that much more important to have a show to have not just one episode like that, but to begin with this amazing, you know, I mean, and the recognition of it's summer and we're running out of ice, uh, the individual episodes that were selected. This is a triumph. And I'm, I'm of course hopeful to see more about the Watchmen universe and unlock some of the potentials that were presented and hinted at in this show and so many others that we talked about that we know about but never even had the chance to get more than maybe a reference. But also I feel like this is such a wonderful example that says, when you do it, please keep this in mind because this is the power of possibility. This is what it means when you really pursue an idea and don't back away from it. Um, it, it's it's a love note and it's a gorgeous one and I love the recognition it's getting. I'm I'm amazed and, and just extremely proud. Um, I'm I'm loving all the possibility of how it can go forward. But for the moment, I say stand and shine and celebrate and and really take every moment you can. It, it's a blessing and it's deserved and it's earned and all that hard work. This is a, a great moment to reflect, Steve. Everyone knows that I'm a huge Watchmen fan, being there day one when it was first released. And I was one of those people also who thought, listen, don't touch this book, leave it alone. And before Watchmen didn't do a lot to alleviate my fears, even though some of it was actually pretty good, a lot of it was, eh, it was okay. But um, then came Doomsday Clock, which was phenomenal uh, particularly that ending and the way it tied into the bigger dc universe at large but the thing that really did it for me um the movie was great but it had to be cut it had to be adapted the thing that did it for me was that tv show it was art pure plain and simple like all of you have said this was tv that was beyond good. I mean, for someone like Barack Obama, who's to say that his favorite movie was a TV show called Watchmen last year, that that's massive. That you, you can't write publicity that good. And when you say, like I said, Seth, those performances, every single actor was stellar, but not just the acting, the direction, the lighting, the sound, the editing, the music, everything and that's probably all the nominations we don't get to see in this article all we see is the lead supporting actors and actresses all of whom deserve to win regina king in particular i adore her her character her arc her storyline it's just awesome so um all these nominations are earned all these nominations are deserved and I cannot wait to see these talented, talented people 
have to get wheelbarrows or trucks or cranes to lug all those awards home with them because that show um, is one of the greatest of last year, if not the last decade. And um, funny, weird, all based on a little thing called a comic book. Who knew? If you'd have told me when I was first reading Watchmen that it would spawn a movie, a sequel and a TV series back in the day, I would have said, hey, next you'll be telling me we can video call each other and record it and be recording our own shows and putting them on something called an interweb. Witchcraft. But, um, yeah, it's here and it's happened. Dark forces at work. Very dark. Justice League dark. Um, (laughs) So... There we go. Uh, that's our TV and movie news. Uh, do you guys have anything to add about any of the stories we've just discussed? I'm just so happy for Watchmen on that level. It's so, so deserving. And you're right about Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock was incredible, too. And the fact that we got two amazing follow-ups to something yeah. that we thought was untouchable. It's just yeah. we're very lucky. It was a lovely surprise. And I love that it's being carried on, too. Just to add on, you know, Steve, you yes. pointed out how the, the Superman series coming up, you know, we're going to see how the Doomsday Clock events play out there. Um, we're, we're looking at all the ways that people are seeing how they can draw a connection to these great threads. Uh, I, I love the idea that we can see reflections of this in so many different projects coming out of it. And it's like it's like Watchmen opened the door. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like suddenly there's whatever the what do they always refer to it as the uh, the guardian of the threshold has been removed. And that that obstacle of like, don't don't do that, man. It's like I, I heard not too long ago that I guess uh, they they redid. Um, oh, God, the Bradley Cooper movie recently. And he did that one with Lady Gaga. And apparently um, which one star is no star is star is born. Star is born. Thank you. I doubted myself through it. Uh, apparently, he was talking with Eddie Vedder and said, yeah, I want to do this movie. And Vedder was like, no, don't. Come on, man. Like, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. And that was so much, I'm sure, the response that Damon Lindelof heard. And yet, if you've got this vision and you say, no, 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 no. Trust me. I see something. And it's it's in true to the spirit and everything else. And to come through on the other side saying, see, I stuck to my guns. I think it was worth it for all of us. That, that's a huge opportunity for a lot of other creators. And uh, it's really exciting. I mean, especially hearing the way you guys talk about it. It, it suddenly just uh, makes all those possibilities much more real and hard not to get excited. That's my final chime, I swear. Brilliant. <laughs> Kendra? I mean, I'm just I'm in the same boat as you guys. It's not only nice to see Watchmen taking taking over basically, but I mean I remember when they first said that they were bringing Watchmen universe and merging it with the DCU, and I remember thinking, how are they going to do that without ruining one or one or the other? And to see these these stories and and these visions from not only the TV aspect from the comics aspect as well merging and meshing so beautifully and not really interfering with canon all that much you know it's it's a wonderful thing to see because it could have gone far worse 
and it didn't. And I'm I'm grateful for that. And I look forward to everything that we're going to be getting across the board when it when it comes to Watchmen and what what holds for us in the future. That's that's my say. Well said, each and every one of you. Thank you for that. So the the answer to the ages old question of who watches the Watchmen, it seems like everybody watched it, including Barack Obama, and now it's going to win all the awards. Yay! Right, so that's it for our TV and movie news. We're going to have a little break to keep ourselves out of trouble, make sure we don't knock anything over and break it, and our well-behaved children. We'll be back talking comics and all about the wonderful Justice Con after these words from our sponsors. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the Knight. Hello listeners, this is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Book, a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Cougar. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not f*** that. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents... Mad Love. The Harley Quinn Cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there.
or not, that's really up to all of you. Fuckers. We're back, we're bad, and we're better than ever. It's the DC Comics News Podcast, episode 81. We've talked TV and movies, and now we're going to talk about comics, the things we love. First of all, um, we spoke to this wonderful man just a few days ago. Scott Snyder is moving away from DC's central characters and lines in 2021, but he is still going to be writing some really cool stuff he mentioned this in the interview but guys girls what are your thoughts on mr snyder's move brad i can totally see why he would want to step back a little bit i mean he's been doing a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to the big stories in the dc universe uh recently so that has to be overwhelming to a point and plus it could be in, in a way a little stifling if you have all these other ideas that you just don't have time for and if you're dealing with all these characters that always have these established stories it's good to get back to something that that you've created so i think that as an artist i think that it's probably going to be good for him to take a step back and, and focus on some creative own works so i'll be interested to see what he has because i'm sure it's going to be I'm sure it's going to be really good because it's been ruined for years now. So, you know, especially, you know, and, and us American vampire fans are going to be happy to see that come back as well. So, Kendra, what do you think? I think that everything comes in October and I'm going to be one broke fan. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> between figures and comics, it's <laughs> over for me, guys. Um. But I mean, with when we had Scott on here, when he was gracious enough to give us some of his time, these were things that he had mentioned, not only that he wants to go and focus on his comic creator, you know, his own stuff. And not only that, but he wants to do, you know, go back to teaching and, and be where he loves to be. Not that he doesn't love writing, but he wants to move away from these. I don't want to say cookie cutter because it's wrong. But he wants to move away from these characters that already have such depth of, you know, history and, and focus on ones that are his own. And like you said, Brad, he's had so long to work on them that absolutely I'm excited to see what he's going to bring to the table, especially when it comes to uh, American Vampire. I mean, that's October. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with that. So, I mean, full respect to Scott. He's done a huge service to the fans of DC with his impeccable writing over the years. And I look forward and wish him all of the success with his own works. Seth, what about you? The thing I love about this story is the fact that it's such a great teaser and lead into the conversation we just had with Scott. These are things he touched on, but he also points out that his story was one that started with a bit of like, a, okay, go ahead and take two steps forward. Okay. Now just jump. Yeah, it's a cliff. That's fine. Just jump. And so quickly he went from a backup role to a story to, so we want you to be the guy. And that became just this like unbelievable process for him. And I can't imagine what it's like to be uh, swept up like that. I can't imagine how thrilling it must have been. And yet at the same time, it just like a whirlwind, like, that's great. What else you got? Keep it going. Keep it going. And and the fact that everything he was putting out was dynamite. I mean, just pure gold. 
And to keep sort of that whirlwind for 10 years and constantly be, as he says, interestingly enough, you know, being the main uh, provider, uh, but also someone who takes a great deal of oxygen from the main storylines. And he's involved in so much that reached out to so many other titles and that responsibility at some point, it's a good thing to stop, to take that off your shoulders, to pass the torch and the humility, which he displayed in the interview, which we had with him that he echoes in this uh, article is just the idea of, look, there's, there are other people who need to step up and they're ready. And the only thing that's in their way is me. If I step out of the way, look how much greater I can be for those creators. Look how much more I can offer for the next person coming up behind me. But that in doing so, he can then take advantage of the fact that he's had all these great independent projects that um, are so exciting that we had a chance to talk to him about. Uh, American Vampire, my favorite that I've really uh, loved from him recently has been uh, Undiscovered Country. And the idea that we're going to see him, as he points out, teaming up with a lot of familiar faces that we love, working on other projects and, and what that can mean. And then also that he's still going to be working on these great projects that are associated with DC stuff, stuff like his last night on Earth, where he can tell a story about the characters, but it doesn't have to be such a major component to the main story that's that's currently being told in continuity or uh, in the larger you know scale. I, I love this idea and the freedom it can give to him. It's well-earned, and I, I look forward to what this next chapter can bring. So, so much about this is such a great reminder of all the things we talked about. A reminder, folks, look for that interview and uh, thank me later. Well, thank everyone later. It was an amazing group ever, but I'm saying now you're going to love hearing that interview. And this story is just a great teaser reminder for that. Steve? Absolutely. He is such a cool guy not just humble but so giving and generous of his time and his talent and his respect to his fellow creators i mean i mentioned it to you guys several times that when i've had numerous discussions with scott over the internet most of the time he's writing to me to thank me about comments i've made on other writers work or other writers work not his own which to me just blows my mind because this guy has been synonymous with batman from the new 52 and before with his Dick Grayson running detective comics, which we've now learned he stumbled onto thinking it was going to be a backup strip became the main strip. And then he was the lead writer on Batman. He's just the coolest guy, a a great writer and his work on my favorite character will be remembered forever. He'll be mentioned the same kind of breaths as Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. He'll be mentioned the same breaths as Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Um, his work is great, but he does, like you all said, quite rightly deserve a break. And to be able to concentrate on these figures that aren't such a pressure on him, because when you write characters like Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman and the 80 years of history they embody, the fact that you've got to come in and do something fresh and brilliant with these characters, but then leave them largely untouched for the next team to take over, is a hell of a responsibility and a hell of a pressure. With something like American Vampire, Undiscovered Country, which is his baby, he can go nuts and tell the stories he's always wanted to tell. And one thing this guy is, he's not just a great writer. He's a fantastic storyteller, and there's a big difference between the two. As writers ourselves, we all know that. Um, so 
good luck to you scott you're a great guy a fantastic dad a brilliant writer and it's got to the stage now that if i see this man's name on a book i'll pick it up just for that reason and that reason alone so while i'm going to miss his voice on the main dc characters i don't think it's going to be forever and the mark he's made the stories he's told will live on as favorites so good luck to you boss um i wish you well for the future right let's talk about another great writer who people have been talking about forever and will continue to do so um i first came across his work with injustice and now with the incredible deceased storylines but it seems like he's gonna go back to his roots and make a prequel to his original injustice series that's right folks tom taylor is going back to the universe that made his name for dc excited brad what about you yes uh for sure because this um and i've said this before too is that this is probably the single best video game adaptation that's ever been whether it's movies books comics whatever this is the best and to expand on that universe is really cool um i kind of bummed that it looks like they're going to be digital first but i hope that that doesn't mean digital only and that we will get to see print editions of these books at some point but yeah i'm 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 psyched for it uh, kendra i have a feeling me and me and steve are going to be fighting over who's going to be doing these reviews <laughs> <laughs> Get your knuckle dusters ready. I'm already ready. I stay ready. But I'm excited for this because Injustice was one of the very first comic series. And Brad, thank you for bringing up the video game because this was the first time that I got my daughter to enjoy. Like she enjoyed the video game and the comic series. So it was really cool to share that world with her and to see it coming back also lends hope to the fact that there might be another video game in the process, maybe in the future, knock on wood. But I'm, I'm excited, and my daughter is excited. So this, I mean, there, there could be no better time. The fact that we're getting to see this come into fruition, I'm fully on board. Take my money. I'm done. Seth? Yeah, just, you know, here's the credit card number. Here's the expiration date. Here's that little three-digit code they're always asking for. Go, go, just, you know, <laughs> fill. Go, 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 go. Um, without question, there's uh, so much joy that's been taken from the, the just completely original storytelling behind Injustice, uh, how it's that one title that makes the idea of basing a book on a game all of a sudden seem like the most perfect and brilliant thing to do if you do it right. And this is a guy who's been doing it right. And clearly this prequel, Fall of the Old Gods, uh, the fact that we get to have his version of the JSA and the Joker just messing everything up. Uh, <laughs> this sounds like a really fun story. And we're, we're going to get to talk about it in our upcoming, you know, some other great characters that are coming out of it. There's a lot to love here. And I'm really going to enjoy the fact that some of the characters we've lost along the way with Injustice, we'll get a chance to see, if only for this one more time. Steve, how about you? The thing with this guy is that I mentioned with Scott Snyder that he's had this responsibility of having to 
write about these iconic characters and then leave them basically untouched. Tom Taylor has been allowed to go completely back crap crazy with these characters because they're not in current continuity. And he's done the same again with Deceased. And that's what makes his Injustice comics so brilliant because you do not know who is safe. It's like Game of Thrones in comic book form. You can read these books and every issue will be a gut punch or a kick to the fields that you never saw coming. And the fact they're giving him another chance to do it, but before his initial run of stories, we're going to see his Joker going crazy, knowing what's going to happen to him at the hands of Superman. We're going to see a young Nightwing running around. We're going to see, like you said, the Justice Society. This is so cool. I'm getting frostbite. I cannot wait to pick up these comics. And I agree with you, Brad. It's annoying that they're digital first, but let's be honest. So were the first in two Injustice series. They came out digitally long before they appeared in print. So mm, this whole digital thing is starting to irk me. And looking at prices and the fact that you can get so many not just DC and Marvel, but indie comics titles from companies like Comixology for a really decent price every month. Um, I'm starting to be tempted, particularly with stories like this coming out about Injustice um, and its prequel, that I may have to look into this a little bit further. But whatever the case, uh, Tom Taylor is another one of those writers who, I see the name on a comic, I'll pick it up. His uh, Marvel stuff is some of the few... Marvel books I still take a look at every now and then. So Injustice, back again, Tom Taylor. Yep, ah, take all my money, you evil, evil comics geniuses, you. Hmm. Right, let's talk about the Golden Age. Let's talk about the All-Star Squadron. Let's talk about a man who is amazing. Who am I talking about? Amazing man, punching out Hitler. Brad, your thoughts. I think this is this is going to be a lot of fun. And I like that it was a character that was created in the 80s as kind of like a flashback to a character that existed but was not didn't exist at that time as far as being in comics at that time. It's a that's a fun little thing to play with. And any image of anything punching Hitler is always a okay in my book. So thumbs up on that but um, yeah, yeah, it, looks like it, could, it looks like it could be a lot of fun uh kendra <laughs> so uh, there are so many video games that are on the market right now that that feature stuff like this and and the comics world as well i mean there's the the very well-known image of captain america punching nazis and this is very very similar to that but the artwork in this is beautiful i mean it it really does take us back to that style of art that the golden age was known for. And I love it. I'm here for all of the reminiscing that and the, the quote we get from Tom himself saying that, you know, to remind us that tyranny often starts with the words we want to hear that promises can be eroded and corrupted by power, that criticism should be heated and amplified, never silenced to remind us what we stand for. How powerful is that lead up? I mean, how could you not get excited hearing somebody speak with such passion, especially with the image that's presented? Like I said before, I'm fully ready to read this series, and I'm so excited to see if this part, if this plays a part in it at all. But even if it doesn't, what a way to tease fans into the series. 
Seth, what about you? Uh, it's a perfect teaser. It's a great image. If there's one thing that I think I would love to see more of is the idea of tyranny, just being knocked out cold. I mean, just really? I have no hesitations. I, I love the image, Mr. Tedesco. Your your art is gorgeous. It's um, timeless in that way that we've uh, been lucky enough to experience from some other great creators, some who aren't with us anymore. But the, the fact that you have a talent and a gift that can look back and see that time and recreate it with all of the brilliance and wonder and yet just that timelessness that that a more modern perspective can sometime offer and also maybe the the desire for those same qualities to be reflected now it it's a great thing that i love not only from the imagery but then also because brad what you pointed out with the the conceit behind the story there's a, a lot of joy in my heart whenever there's a character who remain undiscovered and through that discovery we we have a whole new chapter to tell this sounds like a great chapter i'm looking forward to reading kendra as you pointed out that the words that he gives us to lead up with the idea that we are so susceptible to the things we most want and that's how we can be led astray and even in those moments if we remember what we stand for what we're capable of what we can stand up to uh, there are a few moments that feel as uplifting as this moment does when you're reading those words steve how about you my friend I want to hug all three of you so much. Kendra, you're right. Those words are passionate beyond belief. Yeah. Seth, yeah, we're all fans together in this. Absolutely excited. Brad, um, I'm glad that I'm not the only nerd Yoda and, and Geekipedia in this team. The fact that, yes, he was a Golden Age character that didn't appear in the Golden Age. He appeared in the 1980s is a beautiful thing. But I don't know if you guys are aware, he was actually based on a Golden Age character called The Amazing Man, who, um, after Superman, was the only superhero to get his own comic with his name on it, even before Batman did after the Detective 27. But um, he was created by a man called Bill Everett. So obviously the first Amazing Man of DC Comics was called Will Everett in, in honour of this character. But the amazing thing about this whole Injustice prequel is that not only, well, clearly this is Will Everett, the original Amazing Man, he's punching out Hitler. But we could get to see his grandson, Will Everett III, the second Amazing Man, or or his brother Marcus Everett, the, the third Amazing Man, or even uh, Rocket Bond, who was the fourth. I mean, the fact this is a prequel, if it runs for years and years and years and years like the original Injustice series did, then we could see all four iterations of Amazing Man and learn new stories about them, get new histories from them. And whether they're in and out of continuity or not, this is Tom Taylor writing them. And with that level of art, like you all so beautifully said, that one image evokes everything from the Golden Age Captain America to the All-Star Squadron, to the Justice Society, to all the Nazi bashers that we adore from comics. It just makes the whole concept so intriguing that I cannot wait to read more. And like I said, maybe a digital subscription is on the cards because I don't know if I can wait to have the printed version in my grubby little mitts. So, guys, that's the end of the comics news. Anything to add to any of those great stories? Brad? No, I think we covered everything. Kendra? I'm good. Seth Meister. 
so many great things to look forward to. It's always easy at the end of these podcasts to leave with a happy heart. Mine is full, content, and maybe runneth over. How about you, my friend? In that case, no, I've, I've said everything I have to say on the main topics. But of course, we do have a massive topic to cover and discuss. And as Kendra mentioned earlier, we're going to shake the order up a little bit and start with Kendra, then go to Brad and Seth about all the events, all the news and tidbits that came out of the recent Justice Con, looking at the Snyder Cut of Justice League. So Kendra, please tell us some of the other juicy news items and interviews you were party to. Um, well, with Justice Con specifically, I was a part of all of the panels um, except for Zack Snyder. Not that I didn't watch it, but um, our own Damien covered the, the Zack Snyder coverage. Um, and I covered all of the other panels, which were uh, like Ray Porter, Jay Oliva, uh, Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg, of course. Um, and then also we had the American, um, the suicide prevention team that were there. Um, there. There was a lot that was covered that first day. And all of it was really engaging, especially the ones by Ray Porter and Ray Fisher. Um, but at the, at the heart of it, everything was, you just saw the passion that these people had for working on the project and for how, how much it meant for them to finally being able to see the Zack Snyder's, Zack Snyder's cut coming. I mean, yes, it's still being worked on, of course, but to see that that's actually going to happen and that, of course, HBO Max is going to be the one behind it, it's almost like there's a conspiracy with HBO Max and DC. I'm going to have to watch that a little bit more closely. But, I mean, it's still, it was, it was really nice, and it was insightful to see just how passionate these people were when it came to the project itself as well as the movement. Um, for, for what I saw, we had the Nerd Queens, which is a blog group that was hosting it, and you could definitely tell that there were a little bit of complications when it came to them switching from what we would normally see as a con aspect to moving into the digital to adapt for COVID. Um, that was actually something that during number 79 for DC Comics News, me, uh, Seth, and Kelly had actually talked about seeing how it was going to be able to translate from the normal con aspect and the atmosphere that you see with that into the digital. And I won't lie, while yes, the girls did a beautiful job of getting everybody together and getting it organized, you could definitely, especially from somebody who does something like what we do, you could see where there were a lot of getting used to it. There was a lot of dead air that took place when they were getting ready to go live. Um, and I remember actually being really confused when they did their Justice Con introduction because I didn't know who these young ladies were. I had no idea who the Nerd Queens were until I actually went and looked them up. And I actually asked them a question on uh, the YouTube live chat. And I was like, can you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Because some of us aren't aware of who you are and we would like to know. And literally the introduction, all that it was, was 15 minutes of them kind of girl gushing and fan, fanning out about how, how many people had shown up to see this. And well, yes, I, I like I said, First time that they've, they've done this, this is a brand new medium to use for stuff like that. 
I think that there's a lot to be learned from that, especially from the chat aspect, because Seth, me and you discussed this, where we were really curious to see if there were going to be any moderators mm. or how the chat itself was going to function. Let me tell you that when Scott, or not Scott, when uh, Zack Snyder came on, it went wild. They could not control the chat. There were no moderators, no administrators. It went psychotic. And it actually, if, if there was a way to break the internet truly, this would have done it. There were that many fans that wanted their questions answered. And of course you do, because it's the man himself, Zack Snyder. But... Overall, I mean, it was really immersive, interactive. Ray Fisher was amazing in his interview. Like, if if there were a bucket list for interviews, like what we've had, he brought that passion like what we had with April Boldy. It was a, a great watch overall. So I do recommend going through, and if you are curious about those, seeing them. Um, but like I said, it definitely, definitely lets all of us who, who sit in in that media broadcasting see where the pitfalls are for the transition to this. Um, but that was that was Justice Con for me. Outstanding. I mean, I loved your articles, yours and Damien's. They were they were great reads. Brad, what did you pick up from the Justice Con? Did you read any of the articles or watch any of the videos yourself? Yeah, I, uh, between um, this and uh, the Comic-Con at home, there is uh, a lot of content. And kind of what's what's great about it is that you can really, if you take the time, you can go to every panel. <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to pick and choose like if you actually had gone to the con. So, um, and with Justice Con... Um, it would almost seem like a missed opportunity to me that the fact that the Justice League movie came out and it underperformed because the Justice League is like cream of the cream, cream of the cop when it comes to pop culture. I mean, you don't get better than the Justice League. So it deserved to have like an impact. And the fact that, you know, like Kendra was saying that everybody was so excited for Zack Snyder, that it's good to see that have a life again. And, uh, you know, with the Snyder Cut or just with just fans in general, it's it's amazing to see. And um, going back and watching videos, it gives me kind of a chance as a person who goes to cons, uh, like the New York con. I I've been to a lot of Walking Dead panels, for instance, so I don't go to them now. But with these virtual cons, you can because the videos are always there. So I recommend to anybody listening, there are so many cool panels that you can watch. And I would definitely recommend to taking the effort to dig a little and find some really cool content. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much out there. And a lot of them are sometimes they're like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So they're not even that long. Um, but yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely worth it um yeah i think that overall um you know they're still getting the kinks worked out but i do think that some of these panels they worked fine with not necessarily a moderator and uh it was fun to see that there was still a lot of excitement and energy that you could feel even though you weren't necessarily in in the room uh seth 
I think my biggest takeaway was the fact that there was so much enthusiasm and excitement and passion that it was almost like putting a moderator in would have dimmed that in some way. Like they did, there was a desire to not control too much because you you wanted to give uh, everyone who was watching the opportunity to feel like they were involved to for the most part, not try to bridle that energy in any way, but unbridled energy can be pretty chaotic. I only had a chance to try and click in at times and and catch some snippets. And then I would, for the most part, rely on the great reporting we have uh, and the stories that were coming out and just glean these, these wonderful gems that, that felt really just uh, so positive in light of so much that's happening around that would almost say, how can you continue to be positive? How can you continue to have this kind of hope? But it was displayed through the panels, through the guests. And yeah, there's a lot of learning to be done. There's a lot of areas that can be improved. But the the feeling of we know this isn't perfect and we're doing it and we're going to keep doing it, that was contagious. It was infectious. And it was something that I think everyone was willing to look to and say, you know what? Despite the quirks, despite the complications, whatever might occur, we we're here. You can have whatever mistakes you want, and we'll still be here. And that's gotta that's gotta be something that I think a lot of both fans and the people who are responsible for putting on Justice Con and Comic Con can take heart in is that the fans aren't going anywhere. Anywhere they were there, they'll come back. They'll continue to enjoy the ways that you guys have opportunities to learn and how the next version is going to show us just what you've learned and, and how you're putting it into practice. Um, along the way, I mean, there was so much to enjoy from the trailers to, I mean, even some really cool toys, which were really fun to look at. Uh, there were so many great things that you could check out. And Brad, I love that you pointed out, like, take it when you want it. There's still so much out there that if you haven't had a chance to catch it all yet, you can still click play and sit back and take yourself right back to one of those moments. Steve, how about you? Yeah, you'll raise really, really valid points. I mean, the main focus of the shows was to see if this could actually be done. And we've got to remember, this is the first attempt really at doing virtual conventions. And on the whole, they were successful. But I have to agree with Kendra that the hosts for the Justice Con assumed that everyone knew who they were and as a member of a team of five broadcasters who know what they're doing i i just know that we would say hi i'm steve i'm brad i'm seth i'm ken drum kelly we're part of the dc comics news podcast network this is where you can catch us we're lucky enough to be here at this show and um, without further ado that's us let's talk Zack snyder let's talk the snyder cut we didn't even get that and, and and that was a little bit of putting an unprofessional, really. Uh, maybe it's just me being an old fuddy-duddy. But um, we can squee and we can fan girl and fanboy like the best of them. And we've done it on every interview we've done with April Bowlby, with Scott McDaniel, with Scott Snyder. We, we've done it. But we can still be professional enough to say who we are and who we represent and, and why we're there. And that was lacking and every other comic-con i've ever been to any panel that's been put together 
well not every there have been a couple of real nightmare scenarios but most cases we get a moderator who a knows what he's talking about and b is respectful and professional to the people he's talking to but when Zack Snyder came on it was almost like the house was burning down it, it was crazy and while the passion like you quite rightly said Seth was fantastic I do feel it could have been handled a little better on the plus sides though the news we got the clips we got the features everything's coming out was absolutely superb and you know with these events we're always going to have teething problems nothing's going to be perfect straight out of the gate so let's hope that in future cons things will get better and hey uh warner dc whoever's running a con if you want people who know what they're doing i can give you five names right here right now so yeah yes you know and and i just want to say hats off steve to your team you know country your work covering it and the dc comics news team did uh, did a really really great job bringing us all the news Uh, and overall it just really shows i think to fans how important this stuff is to them and how when we look back on this crazy year that 2020 has been these virtual cons will highlight how important art was for us to get through and i'm talking not comic book art i'm talking art in general films yeah, comics absolutely. literature film all that how important right. that was to get us to get us through all this and uh having you know these virtual panels will be like a constant reminder of of this time so right and yeah. for me for my aspect of it just to, to kind of seal it for a bit for me these the statements that i make towards the nerd queens please if you guys are listening understand that these are hypercritical because we we live in this medium yeah we five we do this every week and so we know the ins and outs of it and even that being said we do these as recordings we don't do these as live even though we we have talked about doing that in the past so there's every indication that on our first live that there could be an issue as well but like like I said, and Steve, you you said it and summed it perfectly. When it came to that first introduction, it was just it it was a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth because mm-hmm. that's something that they should have prepared for is that there were going to be several comics news sites, if not all comics news sites, were going to be covering Justice Con because of Zack Snyder, and to not know who they were was was a very big issue to me because I wanted to be able to quote them and to be able yeah. to introduce them in my own yeah. articles. And I couldn't do that because I didn't know them as more than the nerd queens. And even that I had to look up. And I don't say this in a derogatory term at all, but it's not like these girls are a huge blog. There, when I, when I checked it at last, when it was on Justice Con, they only had about 1,900 to 2,000 followers. So it's not like it's you know it's it's not like it's somebody huge that I I would have known or that the average person would know who they are and that that just that little thing would have helped immensely in being able to cover it a little bit better because I would have liked to have made it more personal by calling them out by name because those girls yeah, deserve it absolutely that 
I mean, Absolutely. with all of the work, that's what Justice Con was, was it was paying homage to all of these people, whether it's the person who made the, the T-shirts and who did the, the branding for the con itself, all the way up to the man himself, Zack Snyder. It was the all of these little pieces that had been working on this for two years, and it was paying homage to their hard work. And these nerd queens, these ladies, were a part of that. And that's all I wanted to be able to do was to honor the hard work. So that was just, if, if you're listening, that was my little hyper-criticism. But overall, for it being your guys' first big thing like that, bravo. Kudos. You know, good job. Absolutely. Kudos. Seth? I mean, really, I can only say that <laughs> it was a monumental effort to undertake. And the great thing about doing it is what you can learn about how to do better next time. And really... Those are the things that you'll want because opportunities like this reveal just how much possibility and passion exists. And I, I, I know that it's a great first step. No one ever said a first step is perfect, Absolutely. nor should it be. Uh, but it, what really makes the uh, kind of the biggest impact is what you do about that second, third and fourth step. So I have all the faith in the world and I'm encouraged by the fact that a commitment was, was made and it was followed through. And now we have the next version to look forward to. Three weeks till fandom, people. <laughs> I cannot wait. Oh, yeah. That's so, going to be. Ooh. So that's been another episode. Episode 81 of the DC Comics News podcast. I've been joined by some wonderful, wonderful friends. Brad, tell the world where they can read your work, talk to you, and learn more about you. Uh, you can find me writing news and reviews, DC Comics News. You can find me on uh, the Mad Love uh, podcast, as well as the regular DC News podcast that you're listening to right now. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. Kendra? Uh, I can be found doing reviews and opinion pieces for not only Dark Knight News, but also for Fantastic Universes. Um, I can be found here with these lovely people every week doing the DC News podcast, as well as when we restarted up the Mad Love Season 2 for Harley Quinn. Uh, also, I can be found on Twitter at Devour All Words. Seth, what about you? Yeah, you can catch me writing reviews on DC Comics News. You can catch me with this fine group every week, most weeks, DC Comics News uh, weekly podcast. You can catch me hosting the Spinner Rack, and you can catch me online as Seth Singleton. In whatever format you choose, uh, surprise me. It's fun that way. How about you, Steve? Thanks, Seth. Um, as for me, yes, I'm on this show most weeks, and I love every second. I also have my own little show on this network called I Am The Night, where my son or another guest and I talk Batman the Animated Series every week, breaking down every episode. You can catch me on the Comics in Motion podcast feed as well. And if you want to read my work, my written works can be found as easily as by typing in Steve J. Ray to the search engine of your choice. But this show and all the other wonderful shows you hear on this network can be found on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and everywhere else you get your shows. DC Comics News and our sister site, Dark Knight News, can be found on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, YouTube, 
and Instagram too. Simply search for at capital D, capital C, capital C-O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S or capital D-K-N-E-W-S. Um, that's it from us for this week. But ladies, gentlemen, everyone out there really needs to do one thing. And what is that? Read more comics. Catch you soon. That's been DC Comics News, episode 81. Take care.